Somebody please say living in covenant. I'm going to, my, my aim today is to get you to that place where we, we talk about briefly the importance of living in covenant with God. But I want to start with uh, a sermon of the day that I, I have been so touched by. And I want you to repeat the top with me, please. Say two things everyone needs. Now, if you look at our graphics, say two things everyone needs to reach their purpose. Here they are. You ready? Say a superman. And a covenant. Now, I, I want you to think with me for a minute about the first time in your life you saw the Superman a movie or back in our days it was a TV show. And I want you to think in your mind as a kid how raptured you were by this whole idea. There was a superhero that flies around that could save everything. Now, I was a big Superman fan. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid coming up, it was one of those things that you just didn't miss. It used to come on, and this was back in the day when Superman was someone that you would probably laugh at if you young people haven't seen it. You ought to go back and look at the old Superman movies, and he would hold his hands up and, and jump in the air, and there'd be a swishing sound, and that was him flying. We all believed he took off, but he didn't. The camera just cut off. <laughs> but back in those days, the idea of Superman was an amazing concept. But what I did was a little historical study because I wanted to find out where it came from. And if you allow me to give you a little bit of a history story, that history about this, it, it really puts it in context. On June 2nd, 1932, Jerome Jerry Siegel's father, Mitchell, Jerome Siegel's father, Jerry Siegel's father, name was Mitchell, a Jewish immigrant from Lithuania, during a nighttime was killed or died during a nighttime robbery at his Cleveland, Ohio secondhand clothing store. It is believed that he had a heart attack during the robbery. At first, his family was told that he had been shot. Some believe this injury. Uh, this inspired, rather, Jerry Siegel, his son, to create in his teenage years a bulletproof hero named Superman who could save the day. Joe Schuster, the co-writer, co-creator of Superman, his young friend, would draw what Jerry imagined. And so that was the image that he drew. A man with a cape, with the big muscles, who was bulletproof, who could save the day. The first publication was in 1938. When was the first publication? 1938. It was sold to their employer, which later became DC Comics, for a total price of $130. Yes. After years of fighting, and back in that day, that would have been somewhere around $2,200, but that still was an amazing bargain for the millions and millions of dollars it made over the years. They fought until 1999, the family of Jerry Siegel did. And finally, the family was given uh, a fair amount of the royalties, and redemption for them took about 60 years of battles. So they fought for years over the rights because they made Superman. Then they did knockoffs, Supergirl, Superboy, cartoons, and they sued them. And finally, at the end of the day, they gained the rights. They did gain the rights earlier in some of those knockoffs, but 
It really was interesting to me that when you look back at this story, some believe that the basic reason was because of a tragedy. That when the loss of his father happened, it inspired in him as a young man the desire to create this character. He, they were both, he and his friend, were big comic uh, fans. And I believe all of us can relate to this dream. Because, you see, in 1938, this became such a big hit because everybody coming out of the Great Depression, people that were going through all these hardships, wanted to believe in somebody. They wanted a Superman. And so it was an instant hit. Instantly made millions of dollars. It was instant. People said, I, I like that idea. Now, think with me for a minute about your life. And think about today's world we're living in. We're living in a world where we don't want to believe in a Superman. There's a, a tendency to struggle with the whole idea that anybody is exceptional. But I believe two things are important, and these are my two big points today. First of all, I want to ask you, have you stopped believing? If you, have you come to the place in your life where you now don't really believe anymore? I believe that we must believe in something, and we must commit to something. If you don't believe in anything, and you're not, then you're not going to be willing to commit to anything. You see it in employment. We're not committed. School teachers question whether the school system is committed to them. Principals question whether their leaders are committed to them. People now question commitment. It used to be that you had someone that you trusted in. And if you look at this political environment, it is feeding this fear. Nobody can be trusted. You can't trust the Republicans. You can't trust the Democrats. You don't know who to trust. And everybody says, trust me. I'll fix everything for you. And so now there's this great suspicion. And here's the danger. If we're not willing to trust anybody, we're not willing to commit to anybody. And that means we can't band together. It happens in a family. If you don't believe in dad, if dad's not the one you believe in, and you don't believe in mom, it all starts to crumble and fall apart. There's something about faith. That's why the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. You will never get far. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. In this church, we must have faith. We must believe. Now, so you're trying to say, you Superman? I'm saying people need a leader they can trust. And I'm saying that it's important for me to work as hard as I can to be a leader you can trust. But not just me. In your family, on your job, where you lead, you need to be a leader that people can trust. If you fail at that, what will happen is people will not commit to follow you anywhere. You can't build anything. You know, churches that are excited are churches that are dangerous. They can do amazing things with small numbers of people. I've seen it. I've seen them raise millions of dollars because small numbers of people believe in the cause. You've seen it in, in, in our history, in the Civil Rights Movement. A small group of people got together. You see it in our, in our, in our day and age when all these changes are happening in the world. The technological changes are happening because of a small group of people. 
A small group of people believed in an idea. But what's happening is now we're questioning everything. And that's dangerous. Because if nobody believes in anything, how can we ever band together? Our armies can't fight common causes. Our enemies will win. In this city, one of the things that I've said to the leadership in our town on several occasions privately, the criminals can rest if we fight each other. If the county commissioner, if the, if the city council, if the mayor, if the police chief, if the DA, if everybody is at odds with everybody, the superintendent of schools, if everybody's at odds with everybody, and all these different groups are not communicating and not openly sharing information and not helping each other, there's no way that we're going to win. It's amazing. There's probably, they say, only about 500 people who commit most of the crimes in this area. They can, probably, they can name them for you. A lot of people, one of the reasons, by the way, we have the sheriff's department here is because they manage the jails. So they can see everybody who comes through the jail. When you come here, they know you. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> That's true. And I, I, think, I think it's important. I always tell people, if you got a warrant, don't come to church stream. We got the sheriff in here, so you need to stream for a while, praise God, so you get that all fixed up. <laughs> but there's something, there's some, we know who, who does things. You do. Some of you can solve a lot of crimes right in here. Your cousins did it. <laughs> Nephew, you know, you know some of the people. But what's really interesting is sometimes we lose faith and we lose confidence, and we're not committed as a society to solving our crime problem. We're not committed to solving our educational problem. We're not committed because we've lost faith in our leaders. And so my job, my goal is to be a leader who inspires people to believe. And I want to show you a verse that says this is possible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We all want to believe in a superman, a leader we can trust. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says to us that that's possible. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. The King James says, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That is what the Bible says is possible. We all want to believe that there's somebody that can fly and can change. We all want to believe that that's possible. Secondly, we also want to believe that there's something called reconciliation that's possible, which means God can redeem it. What was broken, messed up, can be fixed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, what did he give us? The ministry of what? Not criticism. Name-calling. This, 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 this political stuff has been amazing to me. Instead of trying to fix stuff, we're just blasting each other. That's not what Christians are called to. We're, we're, our job is to find a way to reconcile, to fix, to bring healing to things. That's what Christ came for, verse 19. That, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting, read this out loud with me, please, come on. Not counting men's sins against I mean, you, you, can, you can spend all day pointing out stuff. And that's not what we're here for. Romans 5.11 says, 
And not only that, but we also rejoice in God, Romans 5.11, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's all about buying people back, restoring people, fixing people. That's our main mission, not tearing people down. That's our main assignment. But the question is, do you know someone who's let you down? Name somebody in your mind that was a superman to you, but they're no longer a superman to you. And I want, I want to pause here for a second because here's, here's the deal. You can, you can take this wrong and say, well, I was a superman, but I failed people, and you can get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in that. That's a trap. Believe it or not, every single day of my life, I am tempted to dwell on what I didn't do right. I can do 10 things right and one thing that's not perfect, and I will feel that one thing more than the other 10 I did right. I have to talk to myself and say, Temple, give yourself a break. You did more right than wrong, sir. Well, somebody said, no, Pastor, I did more wrong than right. Well, now you can do more right than wrong because now you know. Start now. Can we all say that with him? Please say, start now. That's what I say to myself. When things happen and I didn't do it right, I didn't save enough, didn't do enough, start now. Forget all this didn't do stuff. That doesn't pay. It's learning how to start now and building a future from where I am. And so I want you to think with me about the people you know who were supermen to you, but then all of a sudden kryptonite hit them. You know about kryptonite, right? That's that thing that used to bug me. Superman would be whipping down all the bad guys, and all of a sudden, the bad guy would pull out of his pocket some kryptonite. Now, my first question is, where did he get that from? <laughs> it, it's from Krypton. It's from his home planet. How did you find it in your backyard? And so Superman would be swinging, beating up all the criminals, throwing them down, and then all of a sudden, oh, there you go, kryptonite, kryptonite. Oh, there you go. Oh, can't move, can't move. And they'd always hold it over him and almost kill him. And I thought about what some kryptonite that affects us. Some people that I believe were supermen. And the kryptonite for some of them was simply, number one, romance and love. For some of you, that is your kryptonite. It gets you. You're doing fine, sailing along straight, and all of a sudden you see somebody. Fall in love with somebody. And before you know it, it's, it's messed up your life. It, it, it's amazing how many people have been destroyed just recently. A guy who's over a major network, whole career destroyed, over this kind of kryptonite. And I think you have to be really honest about it and say, that is true. That is my tendency. Number two, notice, sometimes it's money and debt. Everybody say money and debt. Money Doing fine until you start swiping, charging. It, you know, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day. And they were telling me, they said, Mr. Temple, you have such great credit, and you're such a great client. And they would give me all these great compliments, right? And we want to offer you this special deal. <laughs> we want to give you, we want you to get this special line that would allow you, and I don't have any credit card debt, but they said, we want to allow you to hold your, extend your payments. I said, well, how much would that cost me? She said, 18.5%. I said, see, that's the devil right there. <laughs> that's kryptonite. Come on, say amen, kryptonite. And I said, no, I said, well, she said, well, hold on, Mr. Temple. We're going to give you 10 thousand points. I said, girl, you're good. <laughs> 10,000 points, even though you can't buy, hardly buy bubblegum with that nowadays. But she said 10,000 points. Now, I got a few points already saved up. But anyway, the point is, it was amazing. That as we talked for a few minutes, I was telling her, you know, I've learned a lesson. If you don't want to eat junk food, what's the best way not to do it? 
don't buy it. Don't put it in your house. It's when you go to the grocery store and you put all the potato chips and all the other stuff in there. And those big jumbo bags, what's that ice cream? That ice cream you like, you know, to get this family size because it's on sale. And you get two for one and you, you're saving it for later. But you know what's going to happen. At night it's going to call you. Come here. <laughs> now, right, it's going to call you. Come in here and get some of this ice cream. Everybody say kryptonite. You got kryptonite in your cabinet. That's the problem. You got kryptonite in there. And, you know, I, I like some things. I mean, I had, I had some potato chips yesterday. I had some, woo, and if I'm going to get some, I want the Lay's one, the Lay's potato chips. <laughs> and, you know, that stuff, is, <laughs> that stuff is designed to make you want more. Chemically, it's designed. They, they, you know, people got in the lab and made it like that. That's why they said in that commercial, you can't just eat one, you know. <laughs> just keep throwing it in your mouth and, Mouth get all dry, you get your big jumbo soda, you know, this full of sugar. I'm drinking the sugar out. I, uh, <laughs> they supersize them. They just go get you hooked up. Well, I, I, what I did yesterday was I said, okay, I'm, I eat half the bag. Throw the other bag. I, I do. I'll throw half the bag away and say, I'll offer this up as a sacrifice <laughs> to the Lord. <laughs> I do. Ask the staff. That's how I do it. I throw, I throw it away. I throw half away. Now, sometimes I save it. For another day, a couple of days. Somebody says it's going to be stale by then. I still pray over it. Say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you, you can't say no to all of it. Listen, we got thrills after church. So I, what can I say, right? Every now and then, I didn't plan this. You know, I don't, I, what I do is I stay out of it because I know I'll cut everything. So I, I, I let them do what they want to do. You get candy on, what, fall festival? No, is that fall festival? Y'all get all that candy and give all the kids all them bags and all that stuff. Big old jumbo bags, get two bags. I said, go ahead, once a year, praise the Lord. I, because I realized already, if you notice, I banned the sodas. You don't see sodas around here. Anybody, where the sodas? Pastor Rick, he behind it. He, he got rid of I banned them. Well, every now and then they beg me once a year. I think once a year, I forgot what event it is. They said, can we please have sodas? I said, what is it? Oh, it's, right, it's coming up. That's, this, this is the one. Praise the Lord. This is the one. Mm-hmm. After that, they gone again. Praise God. Got to get them someplace else. I'm just doing what I can to help. But I understand you can't, you, you got to be disciplined. But there's something about understanding. That's what I told the girl on the phone. I said, listen, if I, if I put junk food in my life, I am going to eat it. Some of you have too many credit cards. That's the problem. And that's why you're swiping your gas. You got you swiping your gas, but you don't pay off every 30 days. You're swiping your clothes at all these different department stores, but you don't pay off. You know, let me tell you, when you, when you have to pay cash for something, it's painful. <laughs> it is. You know, I have a rule now. I, I have to pay it off every week or two weeks. I, I know, man, I hold on to it. I, you know, we like buying stuff, but we hate paying for it. Come on, say amen. You hear me? Even if you got the cash, you want to hold on to your cash. And, and so what you're going to have to do is change yourself, join your pastor. So listen, listen, this is why you can't tithe. This is why you can't honor God, because you're always in debt. It's kryptonite. Everybody say kryptonite. kryptonite. Third thing, insecurity and pride. Sometimes that's your kryptonite. Sometimes it's power and anger. That could be a kryptonite. You see that in this, in this again, in this political environment. You see this, this, this anger and this, this spirit of frustration and everybody's mad at the other person. And then you see the last one I noted here was fear. Fear can be a kryptonite. You're scared of everything. God trying to bless you, trying to 
trying to advance you, but you're afraid, afraid to fly, and you tell everybody you're afraid of everything. You're scared of everything. God can never send you to all the world because you're scared. You're scared of the shots. I can't get the shots. I have to get a shot. I have to get a shot to go? Yes, you have to get a shot so you won't get sick. But you're scared, of, and you, you say it. And so what I would tell you to do is stop saying it. Stop saying you're scared to fly. Come on, lift your hands. I can fly. When the rapture comes, you got to take off, right? There's no buses to heaven. Some of you say, I'm going to tell the Lord, just knock me out. That's all. Just knock me out. <laughs> We're all surprised when we see people we know that are hindered by their kryptonite. Solomon is our quick example I want to show you in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Because Solomon's example to me is phenomenal. Solomon was a guy who really demonstrates a person who you'd least expect to be defeated. Whenever Superman was winning and the kryptonite showed up, it was always a surprise. And you just, you just couldn't believe that this strong guy was now being defeated. Well, please note in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, the Bible describes Solomon in a way that's unique. He was extremely wise. God gave Solomon, 1 Kings 29, 429, God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Wow. Verse 30, thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men. Read that with me, please. Come on. He was wiser than all men. And then it just starts listing people. He's wiser than this guy and that guy, all these different people. And then he says his fame was in all the surrounding nations. This is a a really smart guy. And what's really amazing is he's young. Early 20s, when he starts writing Proverbs, he's just really young. And so you've got this guy who's amazing, but he's not just... A, a spiritual guy. He's well-rounded, but he's distracted. He's very artistic, but he's distracted. I made that note because it's important for you to see. Notice verse 32 of 1 Kings chapter 4. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. How many proverbs did he speak? 3,000. And look, look, listen, maybe, many of you didn't know this. I didn't really take note of it. And I had 1,005 songs. This is the guy who, who didn't just write proverbs. He could sing. He wrote songs. People were singing his stuff. He was well-rounded, but yet spiritually distracted. He wasn't a guy that would just talk about God. He was a guy who could talk about everything. Listen to what it said in verse 33. He spoke of trees from the, from the cedars of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that spring out of the wall. He spoke also of animals and of birds and of creeping things and of the fish and the men of the nations and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. This is a guy that could talk about anything. I like, I like, I like Christians, believers, who are not one-dimensional. I really hate it when all you talk to me about is the Bible. I'm sorry. Maybe you are surprised. I want to talk about the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. The Word is everything. The Word, the Word. Okay, I, I, can't, I love the Word. I'm, I'm, I, I promise you I'll probably read more of the Word than you do. I'm not, I'm not against the Word at all. But I live in a, on a planet. I, I think sometimes the way you communicate your Christian message is, a, is, is it, it, comes, it translates narrow. 
Because you can't go to the job without answering the phone. Praise the Lord, this is IBM. You can't stop doing that. They ask you to stop doing that. They ask you, they ask you, they ask you not to witness to everybody that comes in the office. They ask you nicely. But you, 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 you have a hard time balancing your life. You can't communicate with your family without being judgmental and quoting scriptures all the time. You, you, you have a problem with balance. Solomon was balanced. I mean, this is a guy that could talk about anything. I make, I make a point to make sure half my reading is beyond scripture, over half most of the time. Because I'm, I'm always in this. This is my life, my job. When I'm, I have to make sure that I watch the news, that I read. I do this every day. I read the news every day. I read all kinds of news every day. I, I make I, my, the books. If you looked at the books, I have about 600 books on my iPad. If you looked at the books, you would see it's diverse. From business to money to God to Christian, it's all over the place. Music, biographies. It, because I want to learn. And I want to be broad in my thinking. And, I, and God never intended for you to just read about him. I'm sorry, that may surprise you. He told Adam and Eve to subdue the earth, which means go and learn. You're supposed to know more than just Jesus died on the cross. You're supposed to know. That's what gets churches in trouble. We don't understand business. When you start managing 3,200 people, and plus you got another couple of thousand coming that you don't know, you can't, and you start managing several million dollars, you can't do that just by prayer. You need counsel. You need wisdom. You need, you need people to help you. There are some healthy things that I've learned. When I first started having our books reviewed every 30 days by an outside accountant person, it was amazing what I learned. It was amazing the things I'm, I understand. When you understand what I call the big three, the balance sheet, the profit loss, the cash flow, when you understand how all those things work together and communicate, and you understand, when they force you to sit down as a preacher and understand that, it helps you manage. You don't know how much money you have. You think you know. There's so many things that I just didn't know, and you didn't learn it in Bible college and seminary. And so you come out without the right balance in your life. Solomon was a balanced guy, and I want you to see this. He was a guy that could talk about everything. He's a true Superman kind of guy. But then what happened to him? What happened? We were all surprised because his distractions took over his life. And the biggest one was women and romance. Now, I want to say this before I read 1 Kings 11. I was, you know, the guy was driving me the other day. And he's a really great guy. He was really great, but I loved this, his response. I said, what made you move here? He said, well, he said, I love, he said, I love the, 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 um, I love the uh, temperature, the weather, and the women. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he told me. And I smiled. I said, really? He said, yeah, man. I said, you know, I just looked at him, and I thought, wow, great guy. We had a great conversation. But, it, but it's really amazing. Solomon had the same issue. It's all about romance. And, and this is not about picking on women because ladies, you know ladies who have the same dynamic, same issue. It's all about that. 1 Kings 11 says this way. King Solomon loved many foreign women. He didn't like local ones. Local ones are okay, but he liked foreign women. As well as the daughters of the Pharaoh, he wanted women of the Moabites, 
Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, and any other type they had. <laughs> he was amazing. He was a guy who had ethnic, what I call ethnic and religious curiosity. He wanted to give a new experience a try. He wanted to have something new, a new flavor of ice cream. And that's his hindrance. In chapter uh, 11, verse 2, it says, He loved women from the nations of whom the Lord had said, to the children of Israel, listen carefully, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Now, I want you to pause there for a minute because <clears throat> this has been used by um, the KKK, other folks, uh, hate groups to say you shouldn't intermarry. God doesn't care who you marry. You can marry yourself a brown person, a white person, an Asian person. It doesn't matter. Crazy comes in all colors. <laughs> Let me say that. Say, come on, say crazy. crazy. Comes in all colors. Shapes and, Shapes and sizes. It does. All you have to do is know enough people. And you realize that your assumptions are wrong. Here's what, here's, what, here's what God was concerned about. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. That was the concern. They'll lead you away from God. I was talking to somebody the other day, and the guy was telling me, uh, he was, he's single and he's living in, um, um, what country is he living in? I don't want to say, but uh, <laughs> he, it's a foreign country, an Asian country. And he said, yeah, he said, there's some pretty girls there. He said, well, oh boy, they worship all kind of stuff. He said, I just have been single. He said, because he said they worship, he said they worship cows and, moon and all kind of statutes. And, and he said, I, I just haven't been able to find somebody that has the same values that I have. You can make the assumption that God's concern was the, the blending of races and that you lose the purity of your race. No, he was concerned that Solomon would marry somebody who would do exactly what they did. The Bible said they will turn away your heart, verse 2, after their gods. But the Bible says Solomon clung to these in love and ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. That's what he's concerned about. He doesn't care that you date that guy. He cares that that guy is turning your heart away from God. He cares that what you're doing slowly is moving away from your commitment to God. That's why you're not in church today. You're with him. I'm sorry. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Don't turn. Don't turn. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> but be, you know, sometimes you stop coming. You, you stop, you know, you just migrate away from your values, your views, what you were taught. And that person literally becomes your, your God. And so he tells him, he says, listen, verse 4, for it was, on, it was so that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal, big word, say loyal, loyal, to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. That's one of the most amazing things about David. David messed up, but he got up. See, his heart was right. I love the fact that God records the truth. He says, no, David really messed up, embarrassed himself, embarrassed his family, but he got up. And God used David as an example all the way through the book of Kings. And first of next year, I think I'm going to take you on a journey through the book of Kings. And one of the studies I want to do is I want to show you, it was amazing. David was consistently referred to as a loyal guy. 
So don't, you're not always defined by a mistake unless you allow yourself to be defined that way. Now I want you to watch the results of Solomon's distraction. Number one, his heart turns away from his, his covenant. So the, so the Lord, verse 9, became angry. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart turned from God. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon. Put your name in there for a minute. Just for a minute. Just, what is your family name? Oh, right, like you don't know it now. Come on, what's your family name? Okay, one, on the count of three, I want you to say your first name. One, two, three. Now, when we get here, I want you to put your name here. So the Lord became angry with? There you go. Notice I didn't say Ricky. But see, look, notice. So, <laughs> sorry. So the Lord became mad with Ricky. Imagine that. Imagine Solomon said, God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel. Is that true for your family? Put them all in the family union, put them all together and say, has our family turned away from God as a whole? Get 50 of our family members together and say, okay, where, where do we stand spiritually? Would this be fair to say about your family? Here's what I want you to understand. A lot of things that happen in our society happen because families have turned. You know why crime is so bad in our town? Let me tell you why. Families. It's, I'm telling you, drug, drug trafficking is a family business. It's the cousins who, re, who recruit the nephews, who recruit the cousins. It's all family. In the jail, they've got grandfathers, fathers, and sons, and grandsons all in jail for the same thing. We got families teaching their kids how to shoplift. Families. And that crosses all, all ethnic boundaries. It, 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 you see, you, you, if you're not careful, you'll watch things like um, the mafia stories, and you forget a lot of them were really family members. It starts out with people who have a mindset to train in their family culture behaviors that are inconsistent with God's will. And that's what happened to Solomon. Solomon leads his family to a place where they break the covenant. The Bible says this in verse 10. And had command, I'm sorry, go back to verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. How many times did God appear to him? Twice. Told him twice not to do this. Warned him twice. And, it's, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And so now watch this. He breaks the covenant, verse, verse 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this, because you've done this, because your family's made this decision, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely, this is important, tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and what he was talking about was the fact that 10 of the tribes would be taken from Solomon's family, and two, two would be, 10 would be taken away, and two would stay with Solomon's family. This was an incredible moment. Now, here's what I've learned as a pastor over the years. Sometimes when I engage families, this is where they are. Because they have done this, they are in the place they're in right now. They've made a decision as a family. That's why repentance is so important. Coming to that moment when you realize we're on the wrong road. We're making wrong decisions. 
we need to back up and rethink what we're doing. Because we are going to put ourselves in a place where, where God can't bless us. We're unblessable. And here's the bottom line I'm done for the day. What he does is he passes a broken covenant to his children. Here's what happens in verse 12. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. I'm not going to tear the kingdom from you while you're alive for one reason, your father David. I'm not, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. But I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Rehoboam was his name. And I want you to think about this for a second as I conclude. There's something about making a decision to rebel against God and to live any way we want and to get to the place where a covenant doesn't matter. And all of this starts with Solomon, who when he got old in the book of Ecclesiastes, he looked back at all the distractions he'd allowed to come into his life. And here's what he said about them. It's all vanity. It was all a waste of time. Young people, you look at your pastor. I promise you something. I give you my word. I promise you something. You chase after all the women you can. Lady, you chase after all the men you can. You have, you, if you ignore what you know to be true, you ignore the contract, the covenant you signed with God, and you go after all the things you see your friends going after, here's what I promise you. I promise you, you will regret it. I promise you the day will come when you will see me in the mall and you will say he was absolutely right. I see it all the time. All the guys that were really cool and all the girls in high school that were really cool, when I see them now, time tells a story. And you all often see people and you want to say, why don't you just stop right now? Why don't you stop? Now here's the problem. A lot of people would stop if they could see a leader like you, Jane. If you could deal with your kryptonite issues and your family, you could be a light in your family. And if you, would, if you would say, you know what? He's right. I need to review my, my covenant with God, my contract with God. And I need to live in covenant. I need to live in a way that says, God, I get what you're saying. Now, you're not perfect overnight. But let me tell you what happens when we do this. When enough of the temple family gets together, and the Bible said if only two of us start the, start the train, he'll join us. You don't need a whole lot of people. You just need people who are sincere. So I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to set yourself in, 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 a, in a mood where you say, Lord, I, I've heard a message today. I've heard a message today. My covenant with God, my contract with God, my walk with God needs to be reviewed. I need to back up for just a moment. And rethink where I'm at. I'm not going to be perfect overnight. But in Jesus' name, I, I need God to touch me. I need God to revive me. My marriage covenant's in trouble. My financial covenant's in trouble. My job. Father, it's time for me to renew my covenant with you. It's time for me to understand the power of making the right choices, putting the right pieces in the right places so that I can have a different result in my life. I need to be determined to accomplish my purpose.
but I will never get there if I keep living out of covenant. And so lift up every hand. Father, we lift up our hands to you today, thanking you for your forgiveness and thanking you for this opportunity to rethink our life direction. For some of us, it is a relationship we're in. We're out of covenant. This is not what we promised God we'd do. For some of us, it's the way we have managed our time, the way we've held on to anger. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, that you would bring healing today and strength and heal every heart, both here and at home. There are people who are watching this today who are saying, that message was for me. I was so disappointed by my Superman, I stopped believing that God could do anything spectacular. I stopped believing in people. And there are people in here who failed, who feel like I was a Superman and I failed. And now I'm going to spend my life allowing kryptonite to own me. But Jesus, I thank you that you are the healer of kryptonite. You can reconcile our lives. You can redeem our mistakes. And you can give us a brand new beginning. We can fly again. Can you say that with me, please? Come and say, we can fly again. Come on, say in Jesus' name, we can fly again. Now I want you to look at me. Put your hands down for a second. You know one thing I like about Superman? Whenever Kryptonite got him, he didn't spend his life talking about it. Some of you testify about Kryptonite. You need to stop talking about it. I was doing fine until that Kryptonite got me back there in January of 2012. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Come on, say let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Stop talking about the kryptonite in your life and what happened to you and how you messed up. Get up and go forward. Love your life, love your God, and believe in your future. Can we give God a big hand clap? Come on. Come on, give God a big hand clap. Come on, shout hallelujah.